Welcome back to episode 17 of the Hidden Things and Hidden Things. I'm your host, Joyce Testament, who has recently been throat-punched by one of his own characters. Uh, reading Vicus for long periods of time kind of sucks, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to let you know. I love Vicus, but after a while, it's terrible. A uh, little bit of an update from the technical side of things. Somehow, one of my fine, upstanding, and entirely helpful, younger, smaller, more meddlesome members of my family unplugged my tablet that I used to read this. That will actually probably, I love that tablet so much for reading this. It will actually show up probably in the, in the final like voiced credits for the whole audiobook. I will say, I would like to thank Galaxy Nexus for making an awesome Galaxy Nexus 7 that I read this whole book on. It won't be entirely true, however, that I read the full book on it because they unplugged my tablet. One of my kids did. So it's dead as disco right now, and I wasn't able to actually use it tonight because it was so dead that even plugging it in, I couldn't get it to even turn on to tell me why it wasn't going to turn on. So I had to use my phone, which also has the Kindle app installed. And yes, I have the electronic version of my own books because, you know, why, why wouldn't you, if you have a book, have it on your Kindle? Anyway, so I'm reading it off my Moto X, which is a lovely phone, but it's much smaller and caused a number of retakes on a number of lines because... I have no problem reading on that device. I like reading on pretty much all of my electronic devices. They're great. But when you're reading it aloud, it's a lot harder to figure out how you should be voicing a full phrase if you can't see the full phrase. Or if the text is a little bit smaller, you read a line and go, did I read that right or did I misread that off the screen? Also, the random thing where it's occasionally chimes to tell me I have a text message because I was too stupid to turn down the volume while I was actually recording it. So, section 17 here. Brought to you by Moto X, Galaxy Nexus 7, my son's ability to unplug stuff, and a number of retakes, because apparently I can't read on the small screen. And oh, and water in the ceiling. Additional technical difficulties is that our sound studio, there will actually be an update going out about this to the Kickstars, but there there was a, a bit of a my 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 recording genius referred to it as we have had a water ceiling incident so the area where i stand right now is heavily padded to avoid sogginess and squishiness showing up on the mic and the ceiling above my head is missing chunks of it from the water washing it away so we've had a bit of a we've had all kinds of technical drama here but we are soldiering forward um we're in section 17 right now and and we'll be moving on to additional sections and maybe doing a really long recording stretch this Saturday during which I can only hope I do not have to have a very long monologue from Vicus because that will kill me or possibly rip my throat out. Also, kids, uh, if you're going to do a lot of voice work, a little tip for you, don't eat a bunch of hot chicken barbecue the night before because it makes your throat really sore or at least wait for it to cool down. Um, Don't be so impatient to eat that you um, wolf it all while it's still steaming because that's not good for your throat either. Pro tips. I am, I am so good at this job. Let's talk about Castle Rock. I've always wanted to climb up to Castle Rock, and I never, ever have, so I wrote about it instead. I, I went and dug up recountings of it. I probably should have just lived the experience, but I honestly suspect that my experience of climbing up to Castle Rock would be very, very much like Vicus's experience of climbing up with the Castle Rock, which would mean basically that I would want to die and puke and then die again when I got to the top. So I opted not to do that and instead just wrote about it, which honestly was, was tiring enough. It was, that was all I could really take. 
And then I got to write about going down into, you know, a nest of goblins. I love Goblin Town. I am a huge, I believe I have established my creds as a unapologetic Tolkien fanboy. But Goblin Town always struck me as being a little bit too clean to me. So instead we get the sort of ammonia atmosphere of a goblin cat box underneath Castle Rock. So yes, there are magical creatures living underneath Castle Rock, but you wouldn't want to go there. That's kind of the fun thing that I enjoy doing to a certain extent with the magic stuff that happens in this story and and really other stuff is, yes, magical stuff is out there, but no, it's not really necessarily more awesome than the mundane stuff. It's different, but everybody's got their own problems. Everybody smells bad if they've been sweating all day and or living in their own filth or anything like that. So Goblin Town, not the magical place you might imagine. And then we finally wrap up with... uh, with a, another tussle with Walker or the beginning of a tussle with Walker. I am really, really looking forward to the next chapter that we're going to be reading. Cause there's a big kind of showdown between him and Vicus. And I, I like that a lot. It's a good, it's a good bit. In fact, there's a couple of good bits coming up. This is really where the rubber meets the road. As they say, we are just about to shift into a new stage of the, of the story. And a lot of that comes with Calliope ending this section with a serious injury that she's not going to just bounce back from, you know, by the end of the book. Um, that's another one of my little pet peeves that we'll talk about on another recording thing. So I love these goblins. And I say I love these goblins because I've written them before. There is a short story that I wrote back in, hmm, this would have been the summer before I wrote, I started writing Hidden Things, called Valen Road that features goblins heavily. It was a short story that I wrote as part of Blogathon for a Blogathon for whatever year that was. Blogathon's a really fun, crazy thing that I do not that I recommend everybody do at least once and probably won't want to do twice, where you basically blog and they don't do this anymore because blogging isn't that I don't think they do it anymore, but if they do, I wouldn't know about it. Um back when blogging was a real kind of cutting edge thing to do showing how much of a hardcore blogger you were was sort of a cool deal. And it was a charity raising event. You get people to pledge like per post or, or just a flat fee or something like that. And you would blog, you would do a blog entry every half hour for 24 hours. And you couldn't schedule them ahead of time. You had to stay up and do it. And you had to do. Um, so basically what that meant is that you were writing nonstop for 24 hours, because honestly you, you have time once you hit post to get up and like go to the bathroom, grab an apple, grab a soda, come back, sit down and start typing again. It, some people would just do random things. I decided that what I was going to do was more of a themed thing. Um, one of my friends, Dave uh, Hill has done this before and he does like, I think comic review, comic book reviews and things like that, which that works too. I decided I was going to write a story. So I, I was just, I wrote this thing called Valen Road cold first draft straight up on the blog. I didn't know where it was going. I knew that I was raising money for research into prostate cancer because my dad was just, had just been diagnosed with prostate cancer and was going in for treatments at that point in time. He's fine, y'all. That's fine. Thank you for being worried there for two seconds. The story ended up becoming about that, the whole goblin thing and goblins kidnapping people and turning them into goblins and things like that. It all kind of became various sorts of metaphors for cancer treatment and dealing with it and recovering from it afterwards and 
what kind of effect that had on the family and stuff like that, which sounds really serious. And honestly, it wasn't. It was about uh, a guy coming back to a place that he'd lived when he was a kid, where when he was a kid, he thought he had seen goblins and going out there and finding the goblins and smacking the crap out of them with a big club and shooting them with with an old hunting rifle and basically kicking ass and taking names with one of his imaginary friends from when he was a kid. So... It's a fun story. I liked it a lot, but what I really enjoyed was writing the goblins. They have, um, they had some fun personality and I wanted to bring them back into the story just because I wanted goblins. I knew Calliope was coming back through Castle Rock and I wanted to use Castle Rock when I thought about what would be in there or under there or whatever. Goblins just sort of naturally presented themselves as sort of this underground thing. So that's why goblins and it all ties back into this thing. A funny, funny bit that does not come into the story in anything, but this is there's certainly some things in every story that only happen in the author's head. Sometimes that's bad, but a lot of times it's good because it's extra cruft that you don't really need to know as a reader. But the guy from that Valen Road story, that short story, which incidentally a couple weeks later actually won an award. So I actually, yeah, won a, I won a blogger award, the blogathon award, and I won another award for a sh- short story competition I sent it into. So it wasn't terrible. But the guy who was in that story, who drove back home to South Dakota from LA and rescued his dad and then went back home again, he's the guy that Tom goes and stays with when Calliope kicks him out of the house. Just FYI, it doesn't matter to anybody but me, but when I needed a name for who he would, who he would, uh, go and stay with i used the same name and i thought it's actually that's the same guy and if he and calliope actually sat down and took notes with each other later they would totally be like oh yeah goblins yeah i've been there done that cool well not cool but you know whatever so yeah it's all kind of tied together there's all these kind of weird little connections and things like that so that's why goblins they don't feature very heavily into the story but i do enjoy them very much and i love jelly packets i'm going to tell a little story about it. i don't love jelly packets personally but i love the jelly packets thing I just really, I just really like jelly. I was having Vicus grab jelly packets earlier in the story. I was kind of channeling Zelazny when I did this bit. And I, that's a huge compliment to me and not so much to Zelazny, but I know from him saying so that occasionally Zelazny would just throw weird crap into his stories and figure it out later. Um, he wrote serial stuff. A lot of times he would write serial stuff and publish it in magazines. So he had months between serial publications where he could kind of go, you know, oh, I can use this now. Or he would be stumped and not know what to write next. Or he'd be just, well, we need something else. So he would reintegrate some weird crap that he'd thrown out and never resolved three months ago and suddenly bring it back in the story or 12 months ago and bring it back in. And everyone would be like, you are applauding God. So I was having Vicus pick up jelly packets because I figured eventually I could use jelly packets. And then they all kind of came back here as this thing. But the whole bit where Calliope realizes that that's what he's doing it for, and then he tells her no, and then she believes him, and then he starts laughing. That, to me, is my favorite funny scene in the entire book. And I know, saying that, that I am making one of the fundamental mistakes that authors make about funny things in their books, because... The characters laugh at the joke. It's funny to the characters. So they're laughing and they're telling a joke and they think it's hilarious. Which basically automatically tells me that it's not funny. Because the things in books frequently that I find funny 
in in various books that happen to be very funny or aren't funny mostly, but have funny bits in them are bits that the characters themselves don't really think are that funny or they're delivered very dryly at best. If the characters are laughing, I'm trying, you know, the writer, I should say, is trying too hard. The fact that the characters are laughing should be a tell that it's not really that funny. I don't care. It's hilarious to me. The whole, it is, that is the kind of humor that me and my dad would totally totally enjoy and and we would be one of those people trying to convince you that the jelly packets were just there because we liked them and then laugh our butts off when you believed us because you actually thought we were telling you the truth i didn't say we were a nice family we're just that's just who we are i will tell you this though the jelly packet thing is one of those things that i've always kind of enjoyed um a friend of mine a good friend of mine longtime college roommate of mine shares a similar sense of humor one day at a reading that I was doing, he showed up completely unexpectedly and brought his sons with him, which was also really great. They had read the book and they were enjoying it as well, which I thought was really awesome. And just before I got up to the podium, or just as I got up to the podium to do the reading, he got up and he walked up to the podium and he set a handful of jelly packets on the podium in front of me, patted them, didn't say a thing, just patted them, turned around and walked back and sat down because he got it. So it may not be funny to everybody. It may not be funny even to most people, but there's a very, very small subset of people who think the jelly packets are the main plot of the story, or at least the main funny thing in the story. And it's to those people that I would like to say, I just like jelly. When I got to do readings and found that I was going to get to do readings, my little dream thing was that someday somebody would walk up and give me a jelly packet. Like that would become the thing. And when somebody did, it made my day. It also made my day when two other people were like, damn it, I was going to do that when you got to my reading. Walker shows up and he does a lot of stuff that isn't really what he should be doing. Walker has a role in this, just the same way that Vicus has a role. He's the goad instead of the guide, so to speak. He's meant to keep things going, but not in a pleasant way. He's meant to impl- provide impetus. He doesn't do that anymore. He's given that role up. And this is probably the most profound example of this. We're going to get a lot more of this in the next chapter during the argument and stuff where he's sort of rejecting this whole, it's a, it's a ph- philosophical debate with shouting and punching that goes on here and then later in the, in the book. And the shaking of the head is partly just being sick of Calliope and probably wanting to punch her since the moment he met her, but it's also him just shaking his head and giving up on the whole idea that he needs to play this game anymore. He doesn't. He should be doing something else. He just shoots her. He wants her dead. He wants this done. He would have been perfectly happy if she did die, if she died here because it would have completely screwed the entire thing up. Probably would have been a serious blow to everything that, was, that, that the hidden things do this for which we will talk about near the end of the book. And he doesn't care. So he just shoots her. And also there's a little bit of foreshadowing, although it's the smallest bit of foreshadowing because we're going to get it explained very shortly, but he gives Vicus an order to secure her as though he will be obeyed. And the fact that he's able to do this, the fact that Vicus doesn't stop him, the fact that Vicus doesn't, isn't killing him for shooting Calliope, all these things indicate that something is not quite right here. Something is wrong in the world. And 
we will find out about all of that in the next chapter. So a lot of stuff, this is an area where the, where the scales fall away from our eyes. We find out what's going on between, what the arrangement is between Walker and Vicus. We find out, Vicus finds out about the deal that Calliope made with, uh, with Phagos. Um, we, we get a little bit more of Vicus's history with the other people that have come before Calliope in the same story, sort of in the same quest. Uh, a lot of stuff comes clear here because we're moving past, we're, we're into a different stage of grief and things start sort of becoming clear and we just, we start to learn to accept it even if we don't like it. So that's where things are going. And it's a, I think the next couple of chapters are some of my favorite in the book. Just like every, but just like every character in the book is my favorite character. These, these chapters coming up are my favorite chapters. So I will leave you there and we will see you next time in episode 18 of The Hidden Things and Hidden Things.